Gather your geek. It's time to head out for our road trip across America that will scare your pants off. Along the way, with your hosts, you'll be setting up camp in some of the scariest places they can find. Discover each episode a cryptid, a haunting, and a strange encounter. Climb a boat, a cryptid camp, if you're brave enough. Take it away, Tom. Live from our cryptid camper, I'm Tom here with my good friend Shay. And we'd like to thank you for joining us on Season 1, Episode 10 of the Scare Your Pants Off, an American Road Trip podcast. Today, we're setting up camp in Virginia. So how are you today, Shay? 10 episodes? Holy crap, 10 episodes. I'm My mind is fucking blown. I know. <laughs> we're going to be through the, the 50 states before you even know. I mean, that's crazy. And, uh, and uh, yeah. And then we have a real excited season two for you guys after this. So yep, we are already already thinking of ideas, and it's and it's funny because going into this, it's uh, Tom and I kind of we're like, oh, it'd be cool to kind of you know do a podcast, and and I don't think either either of us actually knew if the other one was serious or not. Um, yeah. So it actually worked out really well because um, you know here we are, and we took on we're taking on fifty states, and now we're ten in. And it does not feel like 10 in it. It's, it's, it's still fun. It's still new. It's still, you know, it's super exciting. And I look forward to the, you know, the 40 states to come and uh, season two is going to be hopefully amazing. And yeah, I, I can't even, I, I can't even wait. I, I look forward to everything that's coming up and everything that's happened is awesome. So, but uh. I'm going to stop babbling. How are you, Tom? Well, I just want to say I agree with everything you said. I'm there with you 100%. It doesn't feel like work. This is this is a passion project and it's uh and it's fun and it's, you know, like I said, we, you know, I, I even if we weren't recording, I would love just meeting every other week just to discuss this stuff because it's just yeah. we're both nerds for it. And, um, yeah, and we're really hitting our groove now that we're 10 in and uh, yeah, yeah, 40 more and you guys are in for a treat. So, um, but yeah, I'm great. I'm excellent. And, uh, I'm really, really excited for today's episode. So Tom Mm. and I tend to do a little bit of a dry run, not everything that we say, we do a little bit of a dry run before we record and I have a fun little tidbit that I have withheld from Tom until the recording. So um, I'm going to dive right into it because frankly, I don't know that I can hold it in anymore. It's going to come out. Um, Have you ever heard of Stonewall Jackson? I do. I do know of Stonewall Jackson, the the person. Yes. Do you? So he was a civil war general Mm -hmm. and so why I have to talk about this is, do you know where um, he's buried? I do not. No, I do not. So he died of pneumonia and his body is buried in Lexington, Lexington, Virginia. Do you know where else he's buried? No. Okay. So I love this. Um, 
During war, uh, he actually got shot by his own troops and his arm had to be amputated. Now this is a very common thing. It is they are amputating limbs left and right and it is not unheard of. Someone saw Stonewall Jackson's arm. I know, I'm so excited. Arm at the top of this pile of other limbs and I should not be smiling because that is obviously a very grim picture, but um, they did not feel that his arm belonged amongst the arms of ordinary men. So So they took it and they buried it and gave it its own headstone. I shit you not. Its own headstone in Chancellorville, <laughs> Virginia. And it says, Arm of Stonewall Jackson, May 3rd, 1863. <laughs> his, his, body, his body was never reunited with his arm. So he is, he is actually buried in two separate places. So... I know it's a small little, you know, whatever, but um, if for a fun little added fact, he actually uh, had a horse named Little Sorrel or Sorrel, S-O-R-R-E-L-L, and he's actually stuffed and taxidermied and in a museum also in Virginia. Um, That is amazing. Yeah, I needed to... (laughs) I, I need to talk about that. I love that. I did not know that at all. It's funny because when you said Stonewall Jackson, as I was doing research, there was something, I don't know if it was a monument or something with his name attached to it that is haunted and that I almost picked. And uh, I can't remember what it is now because I got the memory of a goldfish. But yeah, so that is amazing that his art has its own gravestone. Like, its own like i wonder did they have it like a whole like funeral for the arm like <laughs> like like I mean, with the, the gun salutes and everything because it's stonewall jackson <laughs> in my head yes that's absolutely what happened i don't know historically what happened but oh, in, in in my head yeah that's that's uh, absolutely what happened and it uh, was it was yeah. worth the wait. I've been dying since she teased it to me. She just teased it. Said, I can't tell you this, but I'm going to talk about this in the episode. And I have been, I've been dying and that was worth the wait. That was, <laughs> that is amazing. All right. So awesome. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad I waited because the, the reaction is going to remain unedited because it's exactly what <laughs> I was hoping for. So, um, oh, okay. Love it. Now I'll move on to my cryptid. Time for the cryptid. Yes. I learned something about myself while researching this cryptid. I'm very disappointed in myself. I'm 39 years old, so I have 39 years of disappointment for never, ever, ever, ever giving the proper amount of time to the bunny man. You ever heard of the bunny man? I have a passing familiarity with it. Um, I don't know too much about him. I just, I, I know a little bit and, uh, oh, I'm excited now. I'm excited because this one's cool. Like, So I'm, I'm enamored. I, I love it. And I, I can't believe I have, I've always just kind of heard of it and be like, oh, that's stupid. I don't want, I don't yeah, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> totally regret it. And so the first reported incidents of the bunny man 
is in the early 1900s. So I'm going to give you a little backstory. In Colchester, Virginia, the mayor actually decided that he felt that the lunatic asylum that was in his town uh, really maybe wasn't giving the image he wanted for his town. So he actually had the inmates transferred to another facility out of his town. During this process, they were loaded onto buses and one of the buses actually crashed. It killed most of the people inside except for 10. 10 of the inmates would actually actually escape. So my interest is peaked in every sense of the way because that's straight out of a horror movie for me. And that's what what I was about to say. This is is the start of a horror movie right now. So awesome. So in searching for the escaped inmates, um, a footprint was found in the mud and in the footprint or around the footprint, I'm not sure, um, was written, you will never find me, you will never catch me, sorry, signed, the bunny man. Oh, I know. That, that, again, so, going back to the creepy, creepy uh, scary movie analogy, creep, oh, guy, I, I, I'm picturing it in my head, it's very vivid, oh my god, yeah. Yep, so... That's going to get better. Um, so the sightings of the bunny man happen, seem to occur after a very bright light and he emerges from it. And you said to either be a very large humanoid bunny or rabbit or a man in a bunny suit. Either way, he's axe wielding. And either way, it's creepy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> agree. So uh, after the bus crash, uh, it was, it would be Halloween. And um, so it said that the bunny man shows up every couple years on Halloween. And in this instance, in the first one, um, right after the crash, the later in the day, uh, a bunch of teenagers were actually discovered to have their throats slit and they were gutted. A whole group of them on the bunny man bridge yeah and and to cut somebody's throat and then like gut them or dis them that that's a little extra right there you know like it's ugh. it's a lot extra you can say it it's, it's yeah. a lot extra <laughs> um there are other instances and they are all multiple murders um they happened in the years of 1913, 1949, 1976, as well as 19, either 03 or 04, and possibly also 05. Um, one of the other cases, they were all very similar, uh, but one of the other cases happened to have the teens were all hung and gutted. Again, extra. But yeah. so, and it's funny as I'm reading it, and they actually do reference this, uh, they, they reference uh, how. The killing style was akin to that of Ted Bundy and maybe um, just had that feel about it. To me, I'm a little bothered that no one at all called him Ted Bunny. (laughs) It's so close. So Uh, in my head, it's Ted Bunny the whole time. I'm thinking, uh, oh, it's Ted Bunny, Ted Bunny, Ted Bunny. uh, Um, I love a good pun. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah I mean, it was right there no one no one grabbed it yeah, so yeah, I grabbed that it. seems like a slam dunk right there so <laughs> but that is that is my cryptid and i i hope you liked it 
I loved it. So I had a I had a passing familiarity. I I think I think I had just you know maybe talked a little bit about it with Roy in the past or something. Um, so the bridge is it? Do and this might be me conflating things. Was it like a train bridge or is it just a bridge? So in some things that I read, I believe it's a trained bridge. In yeah. some things, it didn't say it. And and then in some cases, it seems like it's covered. And then other cases, not. So I'm honestly not 100% sure because the descriptions aren't super, um, you know, uh, there. But if yeah. if you are to look in a lot of the lore, it seems to be like a covered train-like bridge. Okay. I Because I vaguely, and then um, I remember the light thing. Uh, the uh, the light before it happening. What are your thoughts on that? Like what the light could be? Because like if it was a train bridge, it's like okay, you would think a train, but then if no train's passing, like you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Or so I I feel like so I feel like naturally, like when you when you hear of a light like that and something emerging from the light, my my first thought is always extraterrestrial. It's always yeah. because mm -hmm. that's it's just how it's always depicted, but um it's i mean you also have multiple cases of like ghost lights you have you know the ghost trains that you see the light and then all of a sudden it's gone yeah. and there's nothing you'll hear the train but there's nothing it yeah. could be something like that but I, I i honestly i'm a little i'm a little torn and i don't think i could put my finger on it do you have something no i i just because it was like of of the very vague memory i have of discussing this I remember the light and I don't know why that just kind of like sticks out in my brain as, as to what, but that's what I was thinking like a ghost train, like, like you said, yeah. something like that, like along, along those lines. But I, I just, I don't know why it kind of just sticking in the back of my head, what that light could be. And yeah. uh, it's very interesting. It seems like, you know, light and then boom, it's, it just happens. So it's uh Yeah but i love it i mean it, it, regard like you said if it's a cryptid where it's some bunny human hybrid thing or whatever very creepy and cool if it's yeah uh escaped asylum person very creepy and cool like i hesitate to say cool but kind of cool <laughs> like it's, it's uh, i mean it's very michael myers ish and yes. i mean Obviously, we're here for that because yeah, why wouldn't you be? But yeah, no. I uh, yeah, I love it. I'm I'm so glad you picked it because I have been more interested in it and uh, you know in doing um, so yeah, great great pick. Loved it. Love it. Thank you. All right. Well, I have the haunting to this week. Time for the haunting. And there was so much to choose from. There really is. We're in, again, and I know we say this a lot, guys, but like on the East Coast, because it's an older part of the country, there is so much history. Uh, it, there's just a lot of hauntings to choose from. And the fact that Virginia being on 
like right around the Mason Dixon line and everything like that, that it's, you know, with the civil war and Confederacy, there's just a lot of rich history, which makes sense that there would be a lot of hauntings when you think of the civil war and how many Americans actually died, regardless of what side they were both, well, both sides were Americans, you know? And, um, so, uh, yeah, this was, this was tough. And like I said, even earlier, like one of the things I do remember looking at something with Stonewall Jackson, um, which would have been funny if I chose that. And then you had the little anecdote of Stonewall Jackson, but, uh, instead I went with this one, um, because of, well, you'll see in a minute. So have you ever heard of the St. Albans Sanatorium? The name, I, I've heard the name, but I, I honestly, I don't know a lot about it. So the reason I chose this, because I didn't, I had, I had heard it again, some sort of passing familiarity with the name, but not anything to it. But the reason I ended up going with it is because it is considered by most people to be the most active haunted location on all of the East Coast. Uh, more so than like Gettysburg and all those other famous places that you may know. So I thought it was pretty interesting. So St. Albans is located in Radford, Virginia. And, you know, like this place has tons of history and it's really cool because it goes through centuries and you'll see, you can see why this place will be active soon. So during the 1700s, the city's close proximity to the New River watershed attracted both Native Americans and early colonists, which makes sense. It's near water. You know, it's the 1700s. That's 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 prime real estate at that time. So, of course, competition begins to arise over claim the claiming of land. Native Americans have been here for centuries. American uh, these colonists have been here for, uh, you know, a short amount of time and are entitled to everything because that's what we do. And um, so the, uh, the, the competition was building and building and begin to, began to lead to some real hostilities between the two groups. Um, and these hostilities sort of re reached a, a climax or a fever pitch in July of 1775 when a group of Shawnee Indians attacked the colonists of Draper Meadow, looting, killing, setting fires. Um, they killed at least five. They took others hostage that would they would try to ransom back later. And uh, they just left a wake of just grisly, gnarly stuff of their wrath and just in their wake they just i mean one cup the limbra couple they were actually presented or it, it says presented some people say it was left like on the, outside their front door of the decapitated head of their neighbor philip barger in a bag right outside their door um you know obviously like i said fires and they had killed at least five probably more so yeah, they just left a really bad scene. And like I said, they had taken some people hostage that they were going to try to ransom back later for land or whatever. One of these people was named Mary Draper. And again, they tried to ransom her back, but 
not before they made her witness the gruesome death of her mother, her sister-in-law, and her baby niece, infant niece. It, the, actually, the description is they brained the infant child against a rock. Uh, so, mm. Yes. So, that's, yuck. Yeah, it smat, killed an infant by smashing its head against a rock, or or smashing a rock against its head, one or the other. And uh, so, little side anecdote to this. <laughs> so eventually, she, uh, like I said, they were trying to ransom her, but eventually she was able to flee, and uh, with a couple other, uh, with uh, two or three other people, uh, who were said to be German immigrants. And they eventually made their their way to the town of Sonatino. But in one, uh, somebody said, so she was able to flee with the three Germans. Oh, in one account, though, and I found this interesting, this funny little anecdote was that, <laughs> well, funny depending on who you are, that the two or three other uh, German immigrants that she fled with uh, before they made it to the town of Sonatino, were so in such bad shape and so hungry from, first of all, being held captive and not being fed and then trying to make their way through the wilderness to the next town, that they tried to eat Mary Draper on two or three different occasions. <laughs> so I was like, ah, I'll throw that in just because it's kind of a funny side anecdote. So anyway, now we're going to fast forward to we'll fast forward first just briefly to the civil war yeah we're in the civil war again we're near the mason dixon line lots of battles happening here there was some sort of you know uh ammunition facility and and stuff and stuff right around the town so um there's lots of deaths lots of bombings lots of you know stuff happening on the civil war so anyway just keep that in mind because now we're going to fast forward to 1892 and in 1892 george w miles uh decided to buy up and build on the land the saint albans lutheran boys school and at this school george miles envisioned that he would be helping to develop the next generation of southern gentlemen so ugh. But, you know, yeah. it, it was the time. That's what he thought. He was going to, you know, these distinguished gentlemen that were running plantations or or whatever. Unfortunately, this would not be the case because most of the people that were going there, the, it's in a poorer, this was in a poorer section um, at the time. And it's still, you know, not even 1900. So a lot of the boy, the boys that attend the school are from, you know, poorer homes, rougher homes, or whatever. So he's realizing he's not developing these Southern gentlemen that he wants, but they start doing really well at sports. It's uh, these kids, you know, being from rougher homes, you know, some some agricultural homes or whatever, you know, they're strong and they're good, you know, so they're good at sports. So he kind of pivots away from developing the Sunderland Gentlemen's and it, this school just it, it starts becoming rough and it just it becomes known for the fact that uh, the 
the teachers are encouraged to beat students if they act in any way out of line, which wasn't abnormal for the time, but it was supposed no. like, again, going back to being a little extra. It was a little extra at this school. Bullying was uh, not only allowed, but encouraged, uh, especially by the jocks to non jocks and stuff. It was just allowed. And yeah, the school just, uh, it, it's, it, Aside from being really good at sports, just started getting this really rough reputation. Not at all what the founder, George Miles, envisioned. So, fast forward a few years, and Miles died, George Miles, the founder, dies in 1903. And quickly, the school falls into disrepair and just enrollment drops, the school is falling apart, and it closes eight years later. 1911 closes. And it's sits there empty, not being used for about five years. And then so we'll fast forward again to 1916 and Dr. John C. Quinn acquires the property and he's going to he decides that he wants to fulfill his vision of a top notch psychiatric facility where patients would be well treated and well accommodated and he would produce just a high amount, he called them high recoveries, but a high amount of recoveries. Not unlike uh, George Miles' vision of creating Southern Gentlemen, but he just wanted a place where people were treated well and they came out recovered, fixed, yeah. for lack of a better word. But <clears throat> unfortunately, again, this is 1916, early 1900s. We've discussed in other episodes, psychiatric practices of the time, not, not being great. And that's, that's being polite because I'm not great there. It's actually horrific. Some of the stuff that they did and some of these practices they were doing at this place are, were insulin induced comas. So they just shoot, put a ton of insulin in you until you go into a coma, a diabetic coma, essentially, um, or lobotomies. And both these procedures, if you were lucky, you came out like a walking zombie usually you were brain dead or dead that's that was pretty much the outcome of those two things so and when these methods proved ineffective they would move on to electroconvulsive therapy which again there are proponents even to this day but in a much different manner it's you know just slight zaps to your synapses and stuff is now considered you know, they're testing and stuff, but no, this was just like shocking you, just, just shocking the shit out of these people. And this would lead to bone teeth fractures, stuff like that, because of just the high amounts that, and then it would also lead to just severe, severe memory loss, not only short-term, but long-term, like permanent memory loss. Um, and then, and just spontaneous seizures, seizures. So when this stuff wouldn't work, then they move on to hydro hydrotherapies. And, you know, people hear hydrotherapies and now we're in 2021 and you're thinking, oh, it's like a day at the spa and maybe you're in a cryo thing or something. And no, that's not the hydrotherapies we're talking about. This, there was uh, two sort of methods. And then if those didn't work, they would move on to a third. But so I'll talk about the two. There was, so most often it entailed patients being wrapped and essentially mummified 
in an icy cold towels, just wrapped to the point of they can't move. So they're like a mummy for days on end, icy cold. Um, if that didn't work, they'd be strapped in and locked in, strapped down and locked into these vats that only their head came out of the rest of their body. It was full of either ice cold or scalding hot water for days on end. And uh, yeah, just left in a room. They would only come in to either turn turn it down, make it colder or make it hotter. That was it. And if uh, neither of those were working, then they would resort to just putting you in a room, grabbing a fire hose and hosing you down with the fire hose. Yeah, that, that's going to make so many psychological problems go away. So That sounds pleasant. Yeah, it's as you can see. Not a lot of great things happening here. And uh, there was said to be anywhere from four to nine or ten suicides that happened over the course. It it would eventually close. I don't have the exact year, but it would eventually close. Um, I I forget. Um, But yeah, four to nine or ten suicides, all in what they call the suicide bathroom. Very apropos name. I mean, and uh, so that room is considered to be very, very active because of suicides, obviously, you know, the negative energy. It makes sense to me. Uh, another place that's supposedly very active is the in the basement. There's a bowling alley. And um, aside from hearing just like bowling balls going down and pins, you know, ball hitting pins and stuff like that. There are two, uh, there's probably more, but two specific ghosts that people have claimed to see and or hear. Uh, one being, and she goes by, they call her Allie, and, it, and she was rumored to be an ex-patient's daughter. Uh, and, and then the other, Gina Renee Hall, who was a woman that was murdered on June 28th, 1980, very close to St. Albans, not there, but on Hazel Hollow Road. So those two and other rooms are haunted and just in that area, because I mentioned all that history going back to, uh, you know, the 1700s, you can supposedly hear from the 1700s, you can hear uh, Native American like war cries and stuff like that, as well as maybe infant crying um, from being brained, stuff like that. Um, And then I had mentioned the whole Civil War. You supposedly hear cannons, Confederate generals, screams, cries, uh, a general feeling of unease. I mean, which would make sense for any of these things that happen, mm-hmm. whether it's the the massacre with the Native Americans, with the Civil War, or the horrific thing is happening there. You know, it makes sense. Um, you know, disembodied voices and you know, your standard stuff too. But again, considered to be the most active place on the East Coast and just really cool. Now you can do, they do group tours and you can do private tours and investigations. Actually, one of the ex-patients from later when the conditions weren't as bad in the later years, probably I think it was in there in the 60s, bought the property and he's oh, wow. fixed it up a little bit, like certain room, kept some of it just for the creepiness for the tours and the, and the events and stuff, but fixed up some of it and stuff. And uh, yeah, you can, like I said, you can do private tours, investigations, group tours and place I'd like to check out sometime. So yeah, for and sure. That is it. That is the St. Albans 
sanatorium. A lot there. So just just for more of a curiosity, I, I needed to know exactly what brained was versus bludgeoned. Yeah. And if what, if what I'm seeing is correct, yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, if you're hit with something, you're a bludgeoned. But if something okay. is hit with you, you are brained. Ah, okay. And that that's what I was kind of picturing. Yeah, Almost me too. Them, like, holding them by the legs and whacking mm. the or just the head and just, you know, so, oh, yeah, when it's, I read it, I was like, oh, God. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't like that. No, I, and I don't even know which one would have been worse. That's, it's, it's really, it's pretty gruesome. Very extra. You're right. I think this is our extra episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was awful, but awesome choice. Great story, and it's I it, it's hard to pass up the sanatoriums and stuff. How do you how do you pass those up? There's because there's so much. But yeah, yeah, and that was it. It was just it was, and I'm fascinated by sanatoriums and these fucking barbaric practices that they did. I know it's terrible, but I'm fascinated by it and uh yeah normally i'll go with something a little more off the beaten path but it was this one was too hot with with the rich history and being an asylum i, I just i had to i had yeah. to choose it so i'm glad you liked it good good no it was really really good sweet so i am uh i am super excited to talk about our um our strange encounter time for the stream And I'm, I'm actually talking about it's it's one specific encounter. But before I start, actually, it it takes place in um, Wytheville, W Y T H E V I L L E. If I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. But I'm reading it as Wytheville, uh, Virginia. Wytheville, Virginia has alone thousands, not thousands of sightings there are states that don't even have a thousand altogether yeah in this one town in virginia has thousands wow mind-blowing i i yeah it's super cool but that's i mean get like she said guys that's incredible because some we've done it you if you listen back to our episode too if you haven't should uh, you've seen some of these states have like between like five and eight hundred for, you know, for the whole state. So, yeah. uh, you know, like that's incredible. So now we're going to bring you to one specific sighting. Um, well, it starts with one specific sighting because it actually follows uh, a gentleman. Um, so on October 7th of 1987, um, three police officers claimed to have seen a UFO. So the story was reported on a radio show by a reporter and the listener's reactions actually really shocked him because he, he portrayed this all in a joking manner. He, he put light to it and made it kind of seem like, ah, ha, ha, you know, it's funny. Um, but the listeners actually started calling in with their own experiences. And it was such a high volume of calls and experiences that he actually decided to dedicate an entire show to it. So on October 17th of 1987, that's exactly what he did. He he had a sighting show. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Um, the description, the combined descriptions that these people were seeing all seem to say that it was gigantic. It was silent. Uh, had blinking red, white, and green lights, and that it was egg-shaped. 
So the reporter, he actually tried to diffuse them with different logic-based scenarios. The first one, he said, it's got to be experimental military aircraft, which is funny because usually in our stories, the military was like, oh, it's just um, nothing. They took no, you know, they, they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they denied that. And then he says, well, it's probably just planes refueling. And the Pentagon actually debunked that one and said that planes are actually not allowed to refuel at such a low altitude. It would not be safe. Oh, okay. Hmm. Then on October 21st of 1987, this reporter and his friend decided that they were going to go and investigate on their own. So they went to a spot where they had the highest number of sightings and they weren't really shocked when nothing happened. It's it's pretty much what he thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get back in the car and they go to leave. And then all of a sudden on the horizon appears this thing. Uh, it was said to be dome shaped and it had strobing lights either on the top or all around. Depends on what you read. Um, it also is said that a small red ball of light seemed to dock on the craft. And then take back off. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So this time he was unable to get pictures. It was he just wasn't able to. So they decided to come out the following night and try to get pictures. And they were very successful. So he set up a press conference for the following day because he was he was going to release all of his information and share, uh, you know, especially good for everybody who's called into him with experiences and sightings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the night before the press conference, he actually got a call from someone claiming to be working uh, with the CIA for the federal government and that um, he was to stop everything. He was to not have a conference. He was to stop um, investigating the UFO sightings and, um, and so on but thankfully for us uh he proceeded with the conference and upon returning home he actually found out that during the conference someone broke into his house and actually stole his ufo pictures yeah so it really actually just gets more interesting from here it's really becomes more of a head scratcher which at this point it already is but about six weeks later, he's out shopping with his wife and his daughter, and while loading up the car, he hears commotion from the people around, other people in the parking lot, the people around him. And he looked up into the sky, and he saw a very large object that seemed to break into four smaller objects, and then just disappeared. Oh, okay. Yeah. So all of this starting in the beginning of October, by the end of December of that year, the sightings in Whiteville reached more than 1,500 just in Whiteville. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's huge. It's, it's catastrophic, really. It's, it's, it's like, like I said, we were just saying, it's, you have states that have a couple hundred and 1,500 in a matter of a couple months. It, that's huge. That's um, over the years, he would be contacted by many more people hoping to share their stories. And obviously some he felt were hoaxes and others he felt that there was some merit to. And now being really a, a beacon for this matter, being someone very prominent in this now, because he, you know, he's 
he's really putting it all out there and he's really investigating and trying to bring awareness to this. Um, in 1988, he was actually contacted by two men wanting to write a newspaper article about him. Not shocking. Obviously, why yeah. wouldn't you want to? Yeah. Um, they came to his house and they interviewed him. They recorded the interview. They took photos of like all the evidence he had gathered and everything like that. And upon leaving, the man assured him that he would be receiving uh, his own copy of the article. Uh, enough time would pass that he felt that he should maybe have gotten his copy of the article and wanted to call and check up because he would probably just get it himself if he needed to. Um, upon calling, though, he actually found that no such article was ever written and nor were two men ever sent out to interview him from that newspaper right so this panicked him almost immediately so he's he's now looking through his stuff what were they you know what were they trying to get a picture of what were they looking for what did i tell them mm. really just trying to kind of take inventory of everything and then he actually noticed that there were a lot of negatives of his own photos that were stolen and missing and he attributed to that yeah. Now, there's one one last thing that happens here, and this is, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping you get the feel for it that I did. So, in January of 1990, uh, the reporter, his name is Danny, um, actually collapsed from exhaustion. He'd been putting so much time into it, really kind of neglected his own personal health, and and he and he passed out, um, and he collapsed. His doctor. Uh, said that he absolutely has to stop his UFO research and never pick it up again. And he did. Never? Never. Ever, ever. And that's, that's, that's my strange encounter, but how did you feel about that? I love it. I love it, and I I know I I I, I probably should come up with a, a, a synonym for love because I say that about everything, but I really do. And strange cover up, right? Right, like okay. So I, I again I was taking notes, doing it so I could go back and kind of make my thoughts cogent and and uniform, so it makes sense. So contacted before the press conference do not do it like first of all i'm getting a very like sort of men in black feel like and with yep. you know and i'm not talking the movie guys i'm talking about like where people claimed after witnessing an event and they were either going to talk to a newspaper or or were the, or or something else these men in black suits who some people claim don't are are look human but if you look closely also look alien um would stop by their houses or call their houses one or the other, but usually at some point stop by and basically threaten them to, or strongly imply that they should not go public with their, what, with what they've seen, heard, or what they think they've seen or heard. So getting that, that feel um, right away. I mean, between, you know, the, the call then, then the person, with um, the people showing, uh, doing the article, taking the pictures, whatever, at his house. Now he's missing negatives and stuff like that. And then come to find out, 
they never worked at the newspaper and nobody worked at the newspaper from that name. So to me, that's a lot of work for just mm-hmm. average, like me or you. Yeah, we're interested in this stuff, but I'm not going to go and make up a whole career and everything and steal something off somebody. You know, my old thing, I just want to see it. So this part, these yeah. people wanted this, you know, to whatever. And the negatives on top, I mean, yes, you, you, you take negatives. It, it's less likely to be noticed right away. But the negatives, I mean... That's what every and guys, some of you, if you're a younger viewer, you might not know about negatives and stuff like that with photography because now you have phones, you know, cameras on your phones and stuff. But negatives and film, we had things and film and back in the day, and it was it, it was a whole procedure. But so that's essentially negatives are essentially his record. He can go back and develop those negatives and you know in these pictures, and now <laughs> the records of what he's got is gone. And then a fucking doctor. Okay. Yeah. So I get it. You're he class from exhaustion. He's got to take a break, a couple weeks, maybe even a couple months. But for a doctor to tell him to never pick it up again, like something that he has spent the better part of his life doing to just never do it again because he passed out from exhaustion. That's I mean. It's. I mean, I get it. I, I get the fact, say if there's no conspiracy going on or anything, I get the fact that a doctor is going to tell you to, he wants you to rest, but I doubt he's going to tell you never to do something you love ever again. No, it's not it, like he wasn't, it's not drinking or smoking or, yes. or it's, it's, he's researching and investigating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. that like, so from top to bottom, it screams conspiracy cover up to me. I mean, what a great choice. I love it because it's all like because of the conspiracy theory aspects to it, too. Cause it's like 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 I'm not a conspiracy theorist and then and I and I am not in like a most conspiracy like, but I'm fascinated by conspiracies and I'm fascinated by oh, people yeah. that, love, that believe conspiracy, especially some of these newer Q and all that nonsense. But um I'm, I find it fascinating and um yeah, this this is just this is that story's got everything right there. That, that yeah. what a good choice. I I I love it. That was I I mean that poor guy. <laughs> that poor guy, man. They were just fucking with him from ever since from that event on. I mean, God, people were just oh yeah. No, it's it was extra. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, going back to that word, little extra. So, that's our episode today that's our that's our extra episode yeah, i like it virginia extra episode so <laughs> oh yeah no i love it i love it so got anything else i think that's all i got all right well thanks for watching guys and make sure to like and subscribe and make sure to tune in next week when we set up camp in new jersey oh i can't wait there's a lot of good cryptids in new jersey so gonna be awesome um yeah thanks guys for watching see you next week bye as always our hosts would like to thank you for joining if you enjoyed the program please be sure to like follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from 
Find us on Instagram at Scare Your Pants Off Pod, no spaces, or on Twitter, Scare Your Pants Off Podcast. Or send us an email with questions, comments, and fan art to Scare Your Pants Off 9 at Gmail. See you next time. <laughs>